0: Good evening, everyone. I'm very glad to to be here this evening to celebrate a form of prayer that is very ancient in the life of the church, and that is Lectio Divina, which technically means divine reading. It is a very ancient form of prayer where people have taken the Word of God and simply read the Bible slowly, prayerfully, reflectively. Sometimes we read the Bible to study it, That's exegesis. Most importantly, we read the Bible at the Holy Eucharist and in all celebrations of the liturgy. That is really where the Bible is formed. But it's very important individually in our own private lives to read the Bible slowly, thoughtfully, in a prayerful manner. And this is what Lectio Divina means. It's normally intended to be done just individually. And in fact, in the various uh, Rules such as Saint Benedict's rule, there is time in which the monks will take the word of God, or sometimes uh, another spiritual writing, but most profoundly the word of God, and just reflect upon it, read it. Read, contemplate, reflect upon it. Be at peace with the presence of the Lord. And then out of that comes the action of our life. I have been doing this for about 16 years now, not simply only myself privately, but in a church. In fact, normally in the cathedral, both when I was in Edmonton and now in Toronto, I, every first Sunday of the month, except in the summer months, I do a kind of public Lectio Divina. And the purpose of that is simply to help us, well, I hope it's helpful anyway, but the purpose of it is to help us to think of how to do this every other day so that we may also take the word of God and do something like this. There's no model for it. There's no patented formula for Lectio Divina. People do it in different ways. What I normally do is start with the sign of the cross and then a little quiet prayer time. Whenever you go down onto the 401, it's good to go down a ramp, you know, sort of get ready to blend into what you're doing. And then when you come off, you need a little ramp as well. And so we we have a little quiet time and try to put away All of those distractions that are barriers to us, those sins that block the pathway to our hearts, whereby the Lord comes through the word of God into our hearts. The word of God who is Jesus enters us through the word of God that is the written text. I must say, usually I have a little red Bible in my pocket, but I'm discovering it's harder and harder to read it. I notice that, you know, as the years go by, clothing seems to shrink, People don't speak as loud as they used to. And print seems to get harder and harder to read. There's something wrong with the paper, I believe. And so fortunately, this printed text here is big enough so I can read it, so I'm not using an actual Bible. But we, we reflect a little bit and say the great words, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I think usually in our prayer, we say, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. But we need to dispose ourselves to the Lord And then I read the whole text once through. And I would ask you to think as I read it, what does it say to my head, to my heart, and to my hands? To know, to love, to serve God. What does it teach me about the mission that I received from the Lord? How does it stimulate me to be more faithful and loving towards the Lord? And what practical implications are there in my life? Faith, hope and charity, head, heart, and hands, know, love, and serve. And then I will just simply start going through section by section, and I will read a passage, read it again maybe, a little bit of it. I'll say a few words, something that I hope comes to mind, I hope will be helpful to start thought. then a little quiet time. And that's the most fruitful part of the evening of Lecture Divina, is the quiet time and also the reading of the word of God. The things I say are just to give a few thoughts. And then read it again. And keep going like that, section by section, through the passage. Then I'll read the whole of it again. And then we'll say the Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory be, make the sign of the cross, and our time of prayer is finished. I have been doing this for different passages of Sacred Scripture, as I said, for about 16 years in different contexts. Sometimes 10 Psalms, 10 parables, 10 10 months I do this. But for the last few years, I've been reading the whole Gospel of Mark. And now we have only a short amount of it left. And so the passage this evening is very appropriate as we're approaching Holy Week. It is the arrest of Jesus and the beginning of his trial. Uh, I will be, have an unusual thing right after Easter. I'll be doing, dealing with the, we'll be reading the, the account of the Crucifixion, which may be a little out of sequence. And then after that, the resurrection. And then over three years, we will have prayed the whole Gospel of Mark. I recommend that everyone read the Gospel of Mark right through. It takes about 45 minutes. It's the shortest Gospel. And I recommend that people read it. Well, read all the Gospels, but... Um, This praying of it, I hope, will be of some help. So now we enter into this prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us now let go of those distractions, especially those sins that are barriers to, that prevent us from listening to God, being attentive to his holy word. All those worries and cares that come upon us and our sins that weigh us down. Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me a sinner. Speak Lord, your servant is listening. Then while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12 arrived, accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who had come from the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. His betrayer had arranged a signal with them saying, the man I shall kiss is the one, arrest him and lead him away securely. He came and immediately went over to him and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. At this, they laid hands on him and arrested him. One of the bystanders drew his sword, struck the high priest, served and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them in reply, "'Have you come out as against a robber "'with swords and clubs to seize me? "'Day after day I was with you teaching in the temple area, "'yet you did not arrest me, "'but that the scriptures may be fulfilled.' And they all left him and fled. Now a young man followed him, wearing nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They seized him, but he left the cloth behind and ran off naked. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Peter followed him at a distance into the high priest's courtyard and was seated with the guards, warming himself at the fire. The chief priests and the entire Sanhedrin kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death, but they found none. Many gave false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some took the stand and testified falsely against him, alleging, we heard him say, "'I will destroy this temple made with hands, "'and within three days I will build another "'not made with hands.' Even so, their testimony did not agree. The high priest rose before the assembly and questioned Jesus saying, have you no answer? What are these men testifying against you? But he was silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said to him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Then Jesus answered, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. At that, the high priest tore his garments and said, What further need have we of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as deserving to die, and some began to spit on him. And they blindfolded him and struck him and said to him, Prophesy. And the guards greeted him with blows. that while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived, accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who had come from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Jesus was in a place of prayer. He was there with his disciples, coming before the Lord quietly at night. And while he was still speaking, in that intimate setting. Judas, and it says here with such pain, one of the 12, Judas, one of the 12. So intimate, so close to Jesus. We can see why in the Gospel of John when he leaves the Last Supper, when he walks out, St. John says, and it was night. And he wasn't simply describing what it looked like outside. It was night. A darkness has entered into one so intimately close, chosen by name by the Lord Jesus after a whole night of prayer on the mountain. We need to ponder the betrayal of Judas, one of the 12, and how he was accompanied with swords and clubs, and he had come from the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, all the forces of that society which had hardened its heart against the Lord. And they had found in one of the 12, the one who would betray our Lord Jesus Christ. It could happen to anyone. And perhaps there's a reason why the Lord chose Judas and allowed him as he does, of course, allowed him to act freely, for he never forces, even those most intimately close to him, he never forces them to act rightly. Even one of the 12 betrayed him. And so let us ask the Lord to help each one of us as we seek to be close to the Lord, to truly draw close to him and not betray him. And let us look at the history of the church how often those who have been drawn close to the Lord have betrayed the trust placed in them. It is a frail and sinful church in which we live. We can point out the faults and sins of others very easily, but we should remember that one of the 12 betrayed the Lord. And the the 11 others weren't all that good either, for that matter. Think of them all. They all run away at the end of, in the course of this reading. So we're looking at the mystery of iniquity. Whenever we see someone prominent or not within the church, betray him. It should make each one of us look to our own hearts and say, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me a sinner. How beautiful it would have been if It would have been if Judas had only repented. Even he who had betrayed the Lord could have been one of our greatest saints, maybe even greater than Peter who denied him and the others who ran away, if only he had repented. I I just read just this afternoon about a man who had done such horrible evil that it is hard to imagine. He was the commandant of Auschwitz a Catholic in childhood. He left the faith. He turned away from the gift. He was baptized. He was confirmed. He was intimately drawn to Christ. He'd received our blessed Lord in Holy Communion. And then for years, he had acted with pure evil in that horrible place. And then he was arrested at the end of the war, thrown into prison. And I think it's said in this article, He expected that he would be beaten up or tortured. But instead, the guards and the people around him treated him with love. Just as Jesus had said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was so surrounded with love that it touched his heart. And the grace of God broke through that hard heart. And he asked for a priest. And he went to confession and knelt down before the priest to receive our blessed Lord and Holy Communion. And then he was taken to his execution in Auschwitz, where he had done such evil. And here we have Judas. So there is great evil, but even with Judas, we we're sad at that and look for an example, but perhaps we need to always think of the the old saying, twixt the stirrup and the ground, salvation may be found. We do not know, we never judge anyone. We canonize people, but we don't say people are not in heaven. But it's a mystery. Let's ask the Lord to help us to be faithful to him and grateful for the graces he had given to us. And let's beg his forgiveness when we have, in whatever way, betrayed him. And then, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived accompanied by crowds with swords and clubs who had come from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. His betrayer had arranged a signal with them, saying, The man I shall kiss is the one. Arrest him and lead him away securely. And he came and immediately went over to him and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. At this they laid hands on him and arrested him. One of the twelve. He now has a new name, his betrayer. And he'd arranged a signal with them saying, The man I shall kiss is the one, arrest him and lead him away securely. Don't let him get away. This says something about Judas that he used this sign of friendship, of love, of fidelity as the sign through which he would betray Jesus. How often has our own friendship been corrupted in that way? And it says something about Judas that he would take the best and make it the worst. But it says something about Jesus too. We often think, especially if you look at paintings of our blessed Lord and we look at movies about Jesus and we look at things like that, we think he must have been standing out there with bright robes and you just knew when he walked along it was Jesus, the Lord. Obviously, in that motley crew of disciples and apostles and people there in that garden, there that night, the Garden of Gethsemane, our blessed Lord, the second person of the blessed Trinity, God with us, Emmanuel, was so insignificant looking that they didn't know what he looked like. He didn't stand out. He had to be pointed out. He was insignificant in appearance. He was hidden in the crowd. That tells us something profound about the Lord who loves us and comes amongst us and about the whole of our life in Christ. He comes insignificantly, whether it was in the babe at Bethlehem or when we receive him in the Holy Eucharist or when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Faith, the experience of Christ, the great theophany of the Lord in our midst is like, it's in the Old Testament, the Lord who comes not in the thunder and the lightning, but in a gentle breeze. If we seek him in thunder and lightning, we seek him standing there with the spotlight on him, I am the Lord. No, he did that briefly, like that at the Transfiguration, and that was it. (laughs) Mostly, you couldn't tell, you couldn't pick him out in a crowd. And that's true to this day. We can ignore him, we can walk by him. We can forget about him. So let us, let our hearts be sensitive to him, and our minds open, that we may never betray him, like the betrayer who betrayed him with a kiss. But also let us pray that we will recognize him, not walk by him, that we'll see his presence in the quiet majesty of the sacraments, in the word of God, and the other ways he speaks to us in our lives. So insignificant looking by human terms that he had to be pointed out in a crowd. Let's think and pray about that and see how it affects our own lives. And one of the bystanders drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them in reply, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to seize me? Day after day I was with you teaching in the temple area, yet you did not arrest me, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. One of the bystanders drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. In St. John's Gospel, we hear it was St. Peter. The reaction is there of violence. This is a violent passage. So often it says they arrest him, they seize him. It's really the same word in Greek. They seized him, they seized him, they seized him, they seized him. Violence, control, that dangerous world in which he is. That is not the way, but it is the instinctive human response. And let's think a bit about that. Just the response of the bystander, the response of the one who uses the sword. It is our normal reaction, but we must resist that. And I, I must say, I've been, I'm meeting tomorrow a spiritual leader of the people who are being massacred and persecuted in the Middle East. We think of those who have given their lives for Christ. And we think of the words of our blessed Lord On the cross. The first witness of God's love in the midst of seizure, arrest, violence, harshness, into that darkness comes the light of Christ. And we might pray also for those most recently martyred and the missionaries of charity and the others who have given their life for Christ. And so many, so many in these days. May the Lord's love penetrate into this world of violence. It is not for us to seize the sword, but out of the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. I think of blessed Miguel Pro, one of my heroes and terrify the believers, the dictator of Mexico had him photographed as he was martyred. And there you see him kneeling on the ground and then his arms reached out. Long live Christ the King as the bullets hit him. Great martyr, praying for those who killed him. It is not the way of the man with the sword, but it is an instinct we need to be attentive to. And to transform even in our own society when we face much less than that but where we get harsh verbal attacks if we are faithful or if we proclaim the faith we will get that but we never respond with the sword physical or of the tongue it's a good thing to think about when looking at comments on blogs. No hacking, no, no. Love. And Jesus said to them in reply, have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to seize me? Day after day, I was with you teaching in the temple area. Yet you did not arrest me but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled." They've come out as if he is a robber. You know how we respond out of our own experience? Do you notice how liars notice that everyone else is lying? Angry people notice how angry other people are. Jealous people notice that some others are jealous. We project onto others what's really in our own hearts. They're people of violence. They come out with swords and clubs. And there he is praying with his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane. And he says to them, have you come to me as if I were a robber? What are you doing to seize me with that violence? Day after day, I was with you teaching in the temple area. Yet you did not arrest me, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Here we see the serene peace at the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ourselves, as we are caught up in responses that are violent or angry or dissatisfied or filled with that inner tension that comes from a heart that is not at rest, we think of what's in Augustine who was that way himself for too much of his life as a young man. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And this is maybe one way we see what a saint is like, one who is truly living in the imitation of Christ. Christ's heart is not restless. He is God with us. And those who are with God who is with us, even in the midst of the storms of this world, as the wheel spins faster and faster, the hub is secure, the still point of a turning world. And ultimately that is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane with these people, his own disciples hacking away with swords. The others coming with swords and clubs. In the middle of it all is Jesus at peace, shalom. The eye in the midst of the storm because his inner peace comes from his identity as our Lord and Savior. He is at one with the Heavenly Father. And as we face these storms as well, to the degree that we are living in the imitation of Christ, to that degree that we go deep, we will have that peace as well, no matter what the storms are, swords, clubs, traitors, whatever they are swirling around us. May we have that inner serenity and peace that comes from the heart of our blessed Lord and that we see here in this tumultuous scene as he is arrested in the garden. And may we not run away as the others did. Let's think of those times in our lives when storms are breaking around us, harsh words are being spoken. And maybe our own heart is in turmoil. And let's simply say, here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. This is when it is, of all times, it is a most important to come before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. I remember when this probably appropriate this evening to mention an oratorian, when John Henry Newman was being sued for the libel, and the people who had the evidence to prove him innocent didn't know where they put it and he was facing the danger of being thrown into a Victorian jail. That's a bit of stress. And yet he writes in one of his letters, in the midst of that horrible time of pressure and tension, and if not swords and clubs, at least the ferociousness of the press and the anti-Catholic people surrounding him. In the midst of that pressure, he said it was a great consolation that he lived in a building which had a chapel with the Blessed Sacrament present there. He said to live, to sleep under the same roof as the Blessed Sacrament gave him peace in the midst of the storm. And so as we seek to have that peace of Jesus in the midst of the storm in the Garden of Gethsemane that had broken upon it when the traitor arrived, We see in our own storms, whatever they are, they're all different to each one of us, whatever causes them. Let us have the peace that is the heart of Jesus. And the closer we are to him in prayer, especially in times of adoration before our blessed Lord, the more we will be able to let our hearts rest in him and let the storms rage as they may. and they all left him and fled. Now a young man followed him wearing nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They seized him, but he left the cloth behind and ran off naked. They led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together. And then Peter followed him at a distance into the high priest's courtyard and was seated with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now a young man followed him wearing nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They seized him, but he left the cloth behind and ran off naked. This is one of the strangest statements in the whole of scripture. What is the profound significance of that young man who was wearing only a linen cloth? And they seized him and he ran off naked. What is the spiritual significance of this? I haven't the faintest idea. We don't know what this means. Maybe we can speculate. We can say we should not be loaded down with something, but that doesn't seem appropriate. I don't know. It's thought that maybe this is Mark. Like who else would know such an obscure event except the young man himself running off naked through the streets. Most people don't think that's in the Bible, but there it is. Well, we don't know. But perhaps since he has no clothing to identify himself, he can stand for us all. I don't know whether any of the fathers of the church has ever suggested that as a way of giving some spiritual meaning to this passage, but perhaps he can, he's sort of Adam again, you might say, running away and look at each one of us. Maybe we're a bit like Peter, too much perhaps we're sometimes like Judas, or maybe we're like the other apostles who run or deny him or whatever, or Thomas, I'm ashamed to say, who will not eventually even, who doubts him. But perhaps the one who can stand in for all of us is the young man who ran away. And too often we do. He was following him though. That was good. And they seized him. So he must have been close to Jesus. And he knew how to escape. That was not so bad. It was a bit embarrassing actually, this occasion of being a follower of Jesus. And he ran away. Maybe more than most of these, most of the others, it was not so much betraying and deserting Jesus, it was just escaping to, perhaps, write the Gospel of Mark. We don't know. They led Jesus away to the high priest, to the chief priests, to the elders, and the scribes came together. Think of this, so often these words are put together. They led him away to the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and crowds are pressing upon him, as indeed at the very beginning. Judas came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. They're surrounding him, pressing him in. And that is the way it is sometimes, usually. Well, really, if we're following the Lord, there are pressures in the societal powers of the day. You might say the high and the mighty who are pressing in upon Jesus. And we as his disciples are called to follow in his path and to have in our own hearts, wherever we may be, as the heroic martyrs of our age have shown us, those heroic young Coptic men who died with the words, Jesus is Lord, as they were martyred, and many others, so many, many others. We need to learn from their courage And whatever the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, whatever these forces are that press upon us to make us run away, we need instead to be like Jesus, serene in the midst of them, silent as he turns out to be later on, not filled with the turmoil that is in them. The hatred from them does not catch in him, even though he's surrounded by it. May we have that peace. And Peter followed him at a distance into the high priest's courtyard and was seated with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Of course, we know what's going to happen, but it isn't said yet. This is a little foreshadowing. We we probably want to rush in here and say, Peter, be strong when the moment comes. But he's following him, Sort of like us. He doesn't run away completely like the young man. He's following him at a distance. He's sort of hedging his bets. Peter is one of the most instructive of the disciples and apostles in the New Testament because so often we see ourselves in Peter. Peter who is so brave in his words and yet he fails when it comes to action. And so are we so often. Peter, who loves the Lord so much, leaps out into the ocean to to reach out to him and then begins to think about himself too much and sinks. We've all been there with Peter. And maybe we've been with Peter here as well. He's feeling a little guilty. Maybe, as St. John says, he was the one who cut off the ear. He's following Jesus partially at a distance in the courtyard As we know later, ready to deny the Lord, but he at least is doing something. He's a sort of 50-50 disciple. He doesn't quite have that fullness of loving the Lord totally, but he will near the end. And at the end of his life, he famously turned back to be crucified in Rome and said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my master. So he was crucified upside down. But he's not there yet. But he got there by God's grace. So Peter is an encouragement to us. And let's just reflect upon him warming himself at the fire, trying to get a little comfortable on a cold night. Close to Jesus, yet not really committing himself to the Lord. Tentative. Let's ask the Lord to purify us of our tentative discipleship. Let us be like Peter at the end of his life when he said yes to the Lord, when he loved him, and when he ultimately shed his blood for Christ. But let's learn from Peter earlier in his life and ask the Lord to spare us and help us so that we don't become simply tentative disciples, warming ourselves at the fire, getting comfortable and hiding. I think as Christians we've got to at least from time to time put our heads over the foxhole and take some risks and stand up and proclaim and not just warm ourselves at the fire so we can learn a lot from Peter mainly about not to do what he's doing And the chief priests and the entire Sanhedrin kept on trying to obtain testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death, but they found none. Many gave false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some took the stand and testified falsely against him, alleging, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands. And within three days, I will build another and not made with hands. And even so their testimony did not agree. He's surrounded not only by the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and people with clubs and swords, but a whole cacophony of people, a whole bunch of people going, lying about him and antagonistic. He is in a toxic environment. And his friends are either running away or warming themselves at a fire. And he's there in the midst of this environment of violent people oppressive people, deceptive people, and there in the center is Jesus. So perhaps he sends us a message, as he does throughout the whole of his suffering and death on the way to the resurrection, that not ever until we see him face to face, when in God's good time we do so, personally and in this world, but not ever as we journey through this valley of tears should we expect to find ourselves in a perfect Christian society here on earth. We should expect to be what these days is called countercultural. And it's for us to reach out with the Spirit of Jesus to, to seek to let His light shine, but not to expect that we're going to get a welcome because our Lord Jesus did not, and we are not greater than our master. Each one of us must be faithful and true with the peace of Jesus at our hearts. But we should not, as the great St. Thomas More said to his somewhat fickle son-in-law, William Roper, he said a lot of good things to William Roper, One of the things he said to him when Roper was contemplating what Thomas was about to go through in a society that had gone corrupt, he said, son, Roper, we don't go to heaven on feather beds. And I think that's something we need to be attentive to. In the face of contention, and our brothers and sisters who are being martyred face this much more dramatically than we in this little mild contention we get in this world of ours but in this world of contention such as what surrounds our blessed lord in this passage from the gospel of mark we need to go deep 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 we need to come closer to our blessed lord the more the storms rage the more the voices cackle the lies are told, the falsity, the illusion, the more that spins around, the less should we start reacting to it with swords and cudgels or sharp tongues. That's a problem we get, sharp tongues, even in the Catholicist, if I can use that term, the Catholicissimo world. We can get too, our tongues can get too sharp. We shouldn't react that way. We should react with the love of our blessed Lord and our hearts must rest in him. And the more contention, the more we experience a tiniest bit, tiniest bit of what he went through, the more we should be deep, serene, at peace, like the great saints down through history have shown us the way. So let's think of whatever the struggles are in our own lives, individually or in the way in which we witness to Christ in this not-too-friendly environment and um, no bitterness, no anger, no violence, only love and that spirit of our Lord Jesus which we see in the midst of this storm, in this passage of St. Mark. May we have that spirit within us. The high priest rose before the assembly and questioned Jesus, saying, Have you no answer? What are these men testifying against you? But he was silent and answered, Nothing. And again the high priest asked him and said to him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And then Jesus answered, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And at that, the high priest tore his garments and said, what further need, we have, have, need have we of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And They all condemned him as deserving to die. Some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him and struck him and said to him, prophesy, and the guards greeted him with blows. The antagonism grows more intense. Soon we are on our way with the cross, with our Lord Jesus. And he questioned him. And at first he is silent. And that serenity speaks to them and they do not understand. And then he said, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And he says, I am. As out of the burning bush, God says, I am who I am. But then he says, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And that is what for them was blasphemy. He is saying, I am as divine, as the Lord. He's calling them back to the burning bush and he's bringing them to the vision of majesty in the book of Daniel, the son of man coming in majesty and power. And that is the source and the center of his silence and his peace. As all these little people were running around him with cudgels and swords and sharp tongues and power and earthly force, he says, I am and he brings them forward to the judgment day when he will come in glory. And we in our world, we who feebly struggle, must be attentive to the one who glorifies, is glorified above us. That's why we need to think of our world. We gather together here in the nave of the church, in the boat of the church, the boat in the stormy seas. So many storms, so many stormy seas, we're in the boat together. But the front of this is the vision of Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the Lord who comes in majesty. We must keep our hearts on Jerusalem, our hearts in the city of God. We are citizens of Babylon the Great. That's why there's cudgels and stones and clubs and things like that and sharp tongues. But in our heart, we are citizens of Jerusalem, the heavenly city of God where the Lamb of God is upon his throne where the Son of Man will come with the power who rules the universe. It is the words of the blessed Miguel Pro as he died before this some dictator. He said, long live Christ the King who comes with power and majesty. And it's that vision of the heavenly kingdom that gives us not optimism because look around, there's not a lot of reason for that, but gives us hope and strength and depth and the serenity that comes from our Lord Jesus himself. And that's what we need in the midst of storms, we need to go deep, deep, deep. But they come and surround him and say prophesy, they mock him, blindfold him and greet him with blows. And in the next portion of the Holy Gospel, according to Mark, we move towards the crucifixion and through that to the resurrection. And that is the pattern of our life that we called to live in the imitation of Christ. Wherever God has put us, wherever it may be, each one of us in our own personal life, whatever our mission may be, we keep our eyes on Jesus, and he will lead us home. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived, accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who had come from the chief priests, the scribes, the elders. His betrayer had arranged a signal with them, saying, The man I shall kiss is the one. Arrest him and lead him away securely. And he came and immediately went over to him and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. At this they laid hands on him and arrested him. And one of the bystanders drew his sword and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them in reply, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to seize me? Day after day, I was with you teaching in the temple area. Yet you did not arrest me, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Now a young man followed him wearing nothing but a linen cloth about his body, they seized him, and he left the cloth behind and ran off naked. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter followed him at a distance into the high priest's courtyard, and was seated with the guards, warming himself at the fire. And the chief priests and the entire Sanhedrin kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death, but they found none. And many gave false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some took the stand and testified falsely against him, alleging, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands. And within three days, I will build another not made with hands. And even so, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest arose before the assembly and questioned Jesus saying, have you no answer? What are these men testifying against you? But he was silent and answered nothing. And again the high priest asked him and said to him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Then Jesus answered, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And at that the high priest tore his garments and said, What further need have we of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as deserving to die. And some began to spit on him. And they blindfolded him and struck him and said to him, prophesy. And the guards greeted him with blows.